Seventh Avenue Pizza, the official pizza of the Soda Pod. The Soda Pod, the official beer and hockey podcast of Seventh Avenue Pizza. And welcome into another episode of MNCAA, where we cover all of the greatest teams in the state of hockey. I'm your host, Nick Max, and this week, uh, a lot of Minnesota teams dominated this week, uh, so we'll catch up y'all all on that. Uh, to start off first, we are going to talk in Minnesota Golden Gophers, who had a great weekend of their own. To do that, we have our old friend, Drew Cove. Drew, nice to see you. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, good to be here. Good to see you, too. You know, Drew, uh, the Gophers are are pretty damn good this year. Uh, so when yeah, you have, it turns out they are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess it's a, a surprise to some people. Uh, but you know, you always look for those measuring stick type weekends, right? And we had that this week, going up against Michigan. Now, let's just admit one thing: this wasn't the matchup that you're going to go look back in February or March. And circle this on the calendar because this really truly wasn't the matchup that I think college hockey fans would have wanted. And especially if you're a Wolverines fan, this is definitely not the matchup you you wanted if you're looking at, shall we say, the, the roster sheet. Yeah, I mean, I, either way, a lot of people discounting this past weekend and go for sweep over Michigan. And I think it makes a lot of sense why I think you, it does kind of have an asterisk with it. I mean, I, I even told a few people, you know what, they're like, oh, Michigan was down seven players. And like, not that they're going to be needing it, but the pairwise isn't really going to, that's not, it's not that, that factor is not going to know what state Michigan was in. And obviously, nope. they got lucky for the Gophers. And some people even said, you know, oh, they shouldn't, I don't even think they should be playing this series from the Michigan side. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it borders on that ter- territory. And I think any team but Michigan might have had a better ground to stand on to say, oh, maybe we should postpone these or cancel these. Um, cough, cough, Western Michigan. But um, I think to the punch, yeah. it's a. Yeah, yeah. I know. I figured we'd I, I find a way to mention that even on podcasts where we don't talk about Michigan anymore. So, but it's, it's, <laughs> it, it was a, it was a, an a interesting way to start the series. I mean, uh, their third string goalie was playing left wing. Uh, it, it was just not a great look. And um, they kind of had, had only 11 forwards. I mean, the Gophers only had 11 forwards the, the next night as well on, on the second night. But um, I mean, when you have a dynamic player like uh, Adam Fantilli out for Michigan, that was uh, certainly, certainly someone that the Gophers would have had to prepare for much like Michigan had to prepare for Logan Cooley. I mean, it's the same kind of, I mean, obviously, Fantilli's having a better season at the college level than, than Cooley is, but um, it, it that kind of same star power goes. And, uh, yeah, it was a, definitely the Gophers got lucky there, not that the, you play the cards you're dealt, and uh, I think that's all the Gophers had to do, and they, they had to not screw it up. Um, but also, uh, on the other end, uh, Gophers were, out, were, were without their starting goaltender and a goalie that uh, – um, in Bartoskevich that I think uh, a lot of people have their concerns about, and a lot of people had – their worries about especially seeing him against Lindenwood and against North Dakota um saying man is this a guy who can really lead us into the future and um even against uh, a somewhat depleted Michigan team I think he really he was really solid and the defense kind of came and played uh, played well in front of him so a little bit I mean obviously more on the Michigan side from a talent depletion standpoint but 
Um, the Gophers uh, overcame a big hurdle as well in terms of turning to a goalie that uh, maybe be, they won't say it. Maybe they won't say it, and Bob won't say it out loud. But uh, maybe they're not the most. They're certainly not as confident as they are in Justin Close, or else he'd be playing more. But um, certainly a guy that they have some question marks about uh, going forward this season. And as you mentioned, when you have a matchup like this, regardless of who laces up and who doesn't, you still have to take care of business, right? And if there's one thing we've seen with this golfer squad under Bob Motzko is, shall we say, not taking the weekend off. I'm not sure how else to phrase it, but like you said, I mean, this team is showing up. They are not worrying about what they can't control. What they are doing is worrying about what they can control, which is their on-ice product, uh, their commitment to structure defensively, and, of course, a lot of weapons up front. Uh, so you sweep the weekend. Um, you still maintain uh, number two in the pairwise. And I, I guess, you know, as we head into the Thanksgiving break here, Drew, uh, how do we assess what the Gopher team is so far this season? Granted, we're not even halfway there yet, but Thanksgiving is really when we – truly sort of kind of start to see and feel what teams are really separating themselves and who they really are. What is the, what are the golden golfers this year? Are they a true contender? I think a lot of people in the state of hockey would say this team is pretty damn good. I'd say they're a contender and I'd say uh, the expectation, because a lot of times the expectations can, uh, can, can be light years ahead of where the team actually is coming into a season. And obviously after the season that the Gophers had last year with a lot of guys returning and a very hyped up group coming in. Um, a lot of people said, all right, expectation. I mean, go for fans. Expectations are generally very high um, and they rightfully should be um, not saying that they should make any excuses heading into a season with some uncertainty, but um, I think most people's expectations. And I think realistically they were fine, uh, frozen for, or maybe not, they made definitely a step back for sure. Obviously when you make it the, the previous season, um, you bring back a lot of the same roster and a lot of the big hitters too. That's kind of the big thing is where you bring a lot of the dynamic guys that um, were heavily relied upon um, and especially bringing back this defensive core. But um, I think this, this is a group that was really expected to do a lot of good things. And I think they've lived up to it so far. I think they've, they've established that, um, Sands, the, the, the kind of lax game against Ohio State, I think they've put together a really, really complete season so far. Um, they've had their growing pains. They've had some nights where they probably learned from uh, some mistakes. And uh, obviously, they, some of these guys are going to still have to learn from some mistakes, especially some poorer groups. And uh, I think Logan Cooley kind of taking some dangerous hits that have gotten him ejected from um, uh, one and almost two games. Um, if that happens in a tournament game, uh, the Gophers are going to have to be really, uh, really mentally tough to say, okay, one of our most dynamic uh, distributors and scorers is off the ice. And uh, if that happens, I mean, he's going to have to be better at not taking those kind of shots, but uh, um, yeah, that, I just don't know what that would look like going forward. But I think, I think this is a team that's really set up to do some, uh, to, to do some damage, uh, especially throughout the conference play conference tournament, um, making it through the regional round Um but truly, really the the true test is going to be uh, whether they can make each game count uh, heading into the tournament, and especially Frozen Four. Huh? I think um, fans rightfully should keep expecting uh, Frozen Four, um, and I think they they have the tools to get there. I think it's just a really complete team um, defensively, especially, um, and they have the forward group to 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 be kind of explosive in scoring and maybe make up for a average ish 
so so goaltending and i think we could we've seen that with justin close he's been good he's making the saves he should um but when they hang when leave him when they leave him to leave him out to dry and uh it's it it doesn't go the best but that's obviously with any goaltender and it's hard to expect uh uh dryden mckay levels uh uh at, at this stage in the game um but you know i think uh it's a it's a complete team that's that's set up to do some really really big things and I don't think any fans really expect any different than what they did, uh, even say July. Yeah. And, you know, just a real quick recap here of the Michigan series for those who maybe have missed it. Um, it was utter domination. Let's just call it what it is. Right. Uh, I, again, you took what was mm-hmm. given a five to two, uh, win on Friday, followed by a 63 win on Saturday. Um, you don't get a week off um, this week, and you do get a little bit of time for uh, Thanksgiving here in a couple of days as we're recording this. And then you're on the road uh, to an Arizona State team um, at Mold Arena. Yes, in Tempe, Arizona. Yes, the same. An NHL arena. rink. An NHL, an NHL rink. rink. Yeah, how about that, huh? Um, but a team that is good. Are they as good as the golfers? No, but a team that I think is still under the radar being – a is an independent to being in, uh, as Arizona State, but they've had some good matchups this uh, uh, this year so far. So, Drew, it, it's now about for the Gophers to maintain their status as one of the college hockey's elite teams. Uh, this is where you take an Arizona State team and you continue to roll the train, right? So, I guess, how do you do it? Yeah, I think uh, um, basically just kind of playing getting back to their game and playing the way that they did against Michigan, I think is obviously a, a certain, a really big, uh, a test that they were able to face and they were able to play really, com- a really complete game. Um, I think in all phases, it was kind of, not that it was kind of mundane, but I think the way the Michigan series went was just kind of structurally sound the way the Gophers wanted to play. Um, and they got goals where they could, they took advantage of chances that they were given and, and they made it work. And, I think, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Arizona State's uh, definitely a, a respectable team, and I think one that a lot of people weren't expecting to be as good as they are so far. Um, definitely reeling after uh, they've they kind of they dropped a few at Clarkson, um, but I mean they beat North Dakota this year um, in a in a pretty close match. Um, they beat Colorado College in a couple in a couple of games, and I think uh, they're supposed to be um, a little bit on the rise here too. But I, I think they go. For- are going to have to to not take a game not take a game off they're going to need to do the same kind of thing that they weren't able to do against ohio state in the first game i think obviously there's literally no rivalry between arizona state and minnesota they played each other a handful of times um and coming off of uh, i think i mean as as much as i think old old school fans would like to say North Dakota is still the biggest rival um, for the Gophers. I think Michigan right now is obviously is is clear and clearly the 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 most intense rivalry the Gophers have right now um, with Michigan, and just because all the high stakes games they played in the recent years, uh, how they've been the class of the Big Ten, uh, kind of fighting for top dog um, the last few years. Um, I think it it outpaces Wisconsin, it outpaces uh, North Dakota, and I know those border rivals certainly make a difference. And obviously, playing against North Dakota gets gets the team up, but I think um, kind of the, the stakes are higher when you play Michigan the last few years. And it was again this past weekend and it's always a game people keep their eyes on. So it's same kind of mentality as North Dakota, but not saying it's the exact same series, but you're going to have to come down and play. I mean, you're going to be in the sun. You're going to be in the nice weather. You're going to be uh, Thanksgiving weekend. You got to make sure your foot's still on the gas. Cause I think this, 
this Arizona State team is really is, is pretty sneaky good. And uh, not that teams have been overlooking them this year, but I think uh, the college hockey landscape uh, at large before this season and early in the season might have been overlooking how, how dominant they can be. 100% agree, Drew. Uh, let's get to some predictions. Uh, but before we do that, uh, as good as Michigan is, again, 12th in the paralyzed, they're actually really bad right now, the Big Ten Conference. In fact, they're sixth out of seventh, only six points. And how about this? The Gophers are at 18. How about this? Michigan State at 17 points, Penn State at 16, and run out the top of Ohio State at 12. Yes, I had to mention the Buckeyes. I won't go any further than that. Uh, so, uh, Drew, what happens with Arizona State? Again, they're sneaky good. Uh, they have some talent, but certainly not the depth as the Gophers. Uh, what do we expect as the results uh, happen down there in uh, Tempe, Arizona, the home of the Coyotes, and as well as the Sun Devils? Yeah, I think uh, – I know I'm not, I'm not going to be as boring as I usually – and Nick, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go oh, sweep. I, like I think, uh, I think the, they're going to learn, they're going to remember what they, how they felt probably against that Ohio state game on Friday. Um, kind of not tail between your legs, but just not feeling that good um, about a game that they really could have won. And I think not that now it wasn't like, I think the first game against uh, Notre Dame where they kind of limited the Gophers a lot. Um, yeah. even though they came up with the wins there, I think Ohio state was definitely a beatable team. You could have beat them both games and they only, and they only got the one. Um, but I think, I think the way this team is playing right now, and especially the confidence they should have after that Michigan series. Um, I think I, I'm going to call that they learned from, learned from that mistake against Ohio state in the first, in their first game. And, and they come out really strong Friday and then they're able to, to, to put the nail in the coffin, uh, I guess on, on, on Saturday. And it is another Friday, Saturday series. Thankfully I, tired of saying Friday, Saturday, and really meaning Thursday, Friday. So um, looks like we'll, we'll be safe on that front for a little while. After you agree there, Drew, again, the Gophers rolling six players already in double digit points, four more have nine. Uh, so the depth of this squad offensively on full display and looking to keep that rolling again against the Sun Devils this Friday and Saturday down in Tempe. Drew, as always, always a pleasure to have you, but we need to move up North on 94 to one of our interstate rivals, at least that's become more of a rival of the old Bob Moscow show. Yes, we have to check in with our friend Noah Grant and check in how the St. Clair State Huskies are doing so far this season. Welcome into the after dark session here on MNC to boy. Uh, apparently where electricity is metered, uh, where Noah Grant is. Yes. He's up in the, the good old North woods. You can't even say woods because North Dakota doesn't have woods, but, uh, we do. you do just we not do. where you're just not where you're at. Right? No, literally we're the only ones like literally. Oh, okay. Well, so, it certainly looks like isn't there's, there's not an ounce of light that's hitting you. Is, is, isn't the whole point of being a podcast host to be educated about your guests? Isn't that like the whole, I mean, we've only spent or three maybe years I'm, together. I mean, or purposely I'm just, yeah, not caring. <laughs> anyway, um, here's what we do care about though. We do care about St. Cloud state hockey. And uh, well, shall we say this? A lot of people are caring about St. Cloud state hockey because this team is freaking good. Yeah. Um, let's, let's put it that, uh, put it that Noah. Now, granted, Let's establish two things from this last week. Number one, we've said this in the Warming House uh, podcast. Colorado College, despite what the numbers maybe look on the surface, don't look great, but that is a still 
a much improved hockey squad, mm-hmm. but it's also true that St. Cloud took care of business and still showed that this team is still a wagon. Yeah, they definitely are. Both things can be true. Um, unless you're on our podcast, then I don't know that we're ever right on anything. Um, that might be the Never. only true thing. But, uh, you know, when it comes to Colorado College and their ability to turn a tide as a program, they've been a group that has really impressed me. And not just because of the fact that, you know, they were in the cellar and they really didn't have much place to go but up. But the fact that they're finally trending in that direction, first time really since the inception of the NCHC that we've been able to say that pretty definitively, this is the best Tigers team we've seen in a decade. Um, the way they transition, the way they forecheck, the way they um, play a complete 200-foot game. And yeah, you look and you say, oh, well, you know, it was 5 nothing on Saturday night. How was that a complete 2 nothing game? Down 3 nothing after the first period. First goal, first two goals actually were a redirect through screens, basically. Third goal was a Grant Crookshank power play goal from basically the slot. I mean, you're not stopping that. doesn't matter who you are. Um, and then, you know, tack on a goal in period number two early on in that middle frame and then one at the tail end of that hockey game, and there's where you get that. But CC outshot St. Cloud that night, right? There's a yeah. lot of things that are trending the right direction for this group. And I think if CC, similar to what we saw with them when they split against Duluth, if they play against a team that maybe isn't as red hot as St. Cloud is right now, they come away with at least a split again last weekend. They've been much better at home. So for St. Cloud to go in and have the effort that they did and get a sweep, we kind of predicted it on paper, but Friday, three to one victory, game winner with two and a half minutes to play was a lot more hairy than I think a lot of us wanted if you were a Husky fan. Well, and I think what we should clarify, Noah, is I remember calling games in the pod um, down inside of a studio in KVSC. And after the first game against Colorado College, and I'm forgetting which game number it was in the pod, but I think it was early, and the Huskies were down early. And in the intermission show, there were a couple of my colleagues that were ripping the Huskies. Yeah. And I've always sustained that even then, yeah, they were they were certainly a different squad. They, they had talent. CC's had bits and pieces of talent, but now do they have more talent? They have a different brand of hockey and a much different coach. And why we're establishing this, Noah, is I think in years past, when you beat CC or you sweep CC, it was like, okay, great. I think what college hockey fans have to understand is this is a bigger feat than it actually really appears. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, you know, beating anybody on any given night, it can be a difficult task. Let's take on paper the worst team in the NCHC in Miami uh, and the future opponent of the St. Cloud State Huskies in North Dakota. Interesting contest result last Saturday in Grand yeah. Forks, right? So, you know, anything can happen on any given night. Hashtag AIC, hashtag Air Force. But um, yep. w- when you look at Colorado College, like you mentioned, they're playing a different brand of hockey. Because Colorado College, for lack of a better term, has had a really difficult time recruiting. They've had a really difficult time getting players to show up at the university. Their class structure is different. A lot of people don't know that, that they do like a trimester type thing where it's like it's split into three different. That's what the word, you know, prefix tri means. Look at me go. Oh. Um, but uh, I don't have I don't have electricity, but I do have prefixes. Um, but, you know, you, you look at Colorado College and their ability to play a different style with recruits that are 
in some senses, the way that St. Cloud was built maybe 10, 15 years ago, where they started getting these B to B plus grade recruits and turning them into better hockey players as they evolve in their four-year career. The anticipation when you're a CC Tiger is you stay for two, three, four years. You're extending the life of your collegiate career and anticipating finishing out your senior year and even good players like grant crookshank who's a fifth year senior now for saint cloud they still extended that career based on that development i think chris mayotte who of course head coach for the tigers now was part of the world junior team a couple of months ago he's really laid the foundation and really started to see some of his recruits finally come in in a brand new building at Ed Robeson that have really made the Tigers fun to watch again. Yep. You contrast that to the Miami series against North Dakota, that was an ugly series. Red Hawks got a win, but it was ugly. The Tigers lost in smooth fashion, if you want to call it that way, because they looked like a hockey team. They looked like they still belonged, even on Saturday when the score was a bit lopsided. And I think this is where we want to transition to St. Cloud, uh, 11 and three overall in the year. Uh, this team just continues to find different ways to win on any given night. Uh, we can talk about individual players. Uh, Grant Crookshank cannot stay a- away from lighting the lamp. He's been an unbelievable yeah. pickup for St. Cloud. Second, and, in, second in the country. Yeah. Right now for uh, goals. yeah. 11 goals, right? Yep. One behind. So yep. he's been nuts. Uh, so, and now you've kind of gotten away, or you, you should say you, you got through the injuries to Josh Lidke. You still have Chase Brand out. Um, so the depth of this squad in every position, really, I mean, even just talking to Drew Cole for the Gophers, there's still a giant question mark in goaltending with that squad. The Huskies don't really have that conversation. So if you're comparing some of the Minnesota squads, just on the roster, St. Cloud, besides maybe offense, they're a more balanced squad. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I don't know if people know this, but heading into this weekend or this week, Dominic Bassey leads the country in save percentage, um, you know, by 0.001, mind you. But uh, third on that list mm-hmm. is, is Devin Levi for Northeastern, who's having a really great year this year. Um, and I think it's a 948 is what Bassey has right now. And you're... 1A, 1B, your other goaltender in Jackson Caster has a 9-2-3. Like, what a great tandem to have here. And I was kind of previewing a little bit. I'm, we might do this a little more next week, but you look at comparatively, St. Cloud is second in the country in goals allowed per game at 1.71. This is a team that has played some tough opponents. Denver, yes. Western Michigan, a much-improved CC team. Minnesota Mankato. State out Mankato, yep. And you're sitting second in the country in goals against and arguably one of the top two toughest conferences in college hockey. Granted, we're still early, six games into mm-hmm. conference play, but 11 and three, and you've only given up 24 goals allowed compared to a North Dakota team they'll see in two weeks that's given up 40 at 3.08 goals against per Oof. game, which is uncharacteristic of Brad Berry's Very, squads. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a team that it's hard to find a deficiency. We've talked about this so much, and not just because we're Huskies fans. We're, again, we've talked about this objectively, very critical of this team, oftentimes, more often than not, I should say. It's exciting to be a St. Cloud fan right now. You hope it carries through the year and, you know, pulls together when it matters most because we've seen the other side of that coin, too, in good years for this team. But this has been a well-oiled machine from top to bottom that is not only offense-heavy. Yes, your Grant Crookshanks, your Zach Okabe's, Yami Kranilas. Yes, it's getting goaltending. 
but just a complete 200 foot effort from everybody involved. The defensive core hasn't even, I don't want to say hasn't had to work that hard, but they've had so much support from forwards. And usually when you see defensive breakdowns, you see that disconnect between the forward and defensive group or defensemen and their goaltenders. Not the case here. It's been a very cohesive. If you're a chemistry major, this is a triple bond and a half. <laughs> I wish I knew what that was, even though I have a college degree. That's do, nice. Do, do, <laughs> I don't think a triple bond and a half actually exists, but triple bonds do exist, and they're arguably the strongest in terms of chemistry. And St. Cloud, a lot of chemistry on this team right now, too. So There is. Um, they'll get a chance to, shall I say, relax their bond. Uh, mm -hmm. They get it, They get this weekend off to enjoy, hopefully, some time with some uh, friends and family for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday uh, before uh, returning uh, to action to face None other than, like you said, the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. It is home at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Um, they travel up to Ralph Engelstead Arena, I believe, in mid to late January. Is that not right? Yeah, that sounds about right. I just know, the, I just know the the Saturday of the upcoming home weekend. That's my birthday, so I'm wondering what you're getting me because I'll be 26 and I'm off my parents' insurance after that month, so I need something. Like, right. uh, just checked. It's mid February. Um, the trip up to the Ralph, but a little uh, bit later than usual. A little bit later, yeah. Normally it's yeah. Uh, in the January month, but um, there's like you said, a lot of hockey to be played. Uh, but Noah, let's assess. And I've done this with the uh, I did this with Drew earlier, but when you get to the Thanksgiving holiday break, I think for the fans' perspective, I think you sort of cement the identity or at least the perceived identity of what a squad is now i think we know who saint cloud is the question is a is it sustainable b is this squad a is this a, a frozen force this a national championship contender and three is really their biggest enemy right now themselves yeah, I you know, the time off couldn't have come at necessarily a worse time besides for a guy like Chase Brand, you know, when it comes right. to this team. Uh, but you'll take the rest. Obviously, you've got four more games before the holiday break, so you got to make sure that you're tuned up and ready to go. Is this team a Frozen Four contender? I think right now you could say yes. But again, the NCHC is tough to get a read on, right? St. Cloud sitting... Uh, three, excuse me, five points out of first place where Denver is at set one point out of second place right now. They have the best overall record in the NCHC. Their opponent, the North Dakota fighting Hawks are in sixth right now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, and they don't even, they're not even 500, a 463 winning percentage for the fighting Hawks right now. So when you look at the conference, it, it's kind of a little bit more about the intangibles, right? Mm -hmm. Are you bringing consistent efforts every night? Are you playing that 200-foot game? How does your power play look? How does your PK look? North Dakota's P power play and PK are one of the best in the country right now that they'll be matching up against. St. Cloud, not far off. But you look at the discrepancy. Similar goals for for both of these clubs moving into December. Goals against that huge discrepancy like we talked about. That's the mark of a team that's doing those extra little things right. We highlighted Grant Crookshank on our show and the little things that he does right that's what St. Cloud is bringing to the table is so many of those guys like Grant who are adding all those little tweaks to their game that have brought this team to the next level. I believe St. Cloud and Denver are really the only two contenders right now for the top two spots in the NCHC. Western Michigan is probably a close third. Um, I don't know that anyone else is going to get there, Nick, and I'm going to be bold and say that even at Thanksgiving, which is something that is not often said this early into the NCHC schedule. This team will earn an NCAA berth unless something absolutely catastrophic happens, a.k.a. the injury bug, most likely, if it were. Right. 
um, or a second half collapse, kind of like what we saw last year, but this team is much better uh, than they were last year. This team, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself too much beyond that, but they have a serious shot to be one of the final four teams playing in. Where is it at this year even anyway? Tampa Bay. That's right. It's at Amelie. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's always sunny in St. Cloud apparently. And uh, well, the sun is warmer down there in the the great peninsula that is Florida, one of uh, my favorite spots to escape to. And uh, you talk about a classy organization, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I do have some ties with that organization, uh, a phenomenal organization from top to bottom. And I know they'll put on a very good show for college hockey down there in the great city of Tampa Bay. Uh, Noah, before we sign off, uh, what maybe what are some of the things for Huskies fans uh, should they be excited about? as we go through the, the schedule and because we have to, because we know this fan base, um, how do we keep them grounded? Yeah. Relax. Um, <laughs> literally That's too um, simple. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's easy. You know, now we know that this team is a good hockey team, at least as of right now, don't let yourself get wrapped up in the minutia of a single game during a weekend or a single period or a, a power play sequence, for example, within a hockey game. Take things as a whole. How are they doing on their weekend splits? How are they doing over the stretch of four games? How are they doing within the course of a month? What are they trending in their last 10? You know, that's where I think if you're a Huskies fan, you've got to take a look at that. There was a lot of chatter about, oh, we split against Western Michigan. Are you kidding me? I can't believe we're 500 in the NCHC after playing Denver. Like, oh, I can't believe we dropped that game against Bemidji State. You're not going to be on every night. But are you consistent enough over a stretch to give – you know, precedent that you're going to bring your A game on most nights. I think that's what Huskies fans should be excited about is they've shown that consistency. Small blips here and there, like any team is going to have, rather iron them out in September, October, November than, you know, February, March, April, right? Uh, So I think that's what Huskies fans have to be excited about is the fact that this team is excelling, not only records-wise, but being consistent in all facets of their game. As far as the other side of things, Sit back and enjoy it. We talked about how great the surprise run was two years ago when it came to the national championship game. Last year was a bit of a disappointment because we had the expectation from the returning group. Huskies have returned to form. Recruiting, trade, trade, you know, transfer portal has looked really good. Take it for what it's worth and enjoy the hockey. And for gosh sakes, the women's team is also good too. Get out to the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Enjoy some hockey. And, you know, last time this team was good, we were in a COVID year, so uh, another reason to enjoy it as well. Some upgrades also at the Herbrooks National Hockey yeah. Center, adding to the viewing experience as well. So, like uh, we said, folks, go out enjoy the does hockey. That mean, does that mean that you're at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center? You said upgrades to the viewing experience, so I figured. Right, that's why that's I, I'm gone. That's part of it. <laughs> so, um, with that being said, uh, speaking of upgrades, uh, another team has been slowly upgrading their style of game. We have to bring in Max Veach for. This, for once, not a sad session. And we'll get caught up on all things Bulldogs here next on the MNCAA podcast. And now, picking things up again here on the MNCAA podcast, we welcome in. One of my favorite guests, Maxwell Veach. Yes. Way too kind. I know I'm not your favorite, but I'll appreciate the compliment anyway. You know, I 
I can't believe this. I, I introduce you, I give you all the, and then it's just like, you throw it back. I mean, geez, you're like somebody else I know. Anyway, no, so it's another compliment on a compliment. You're too nice. How's that one? Too nice. Okay. I'll take that as a, <laughs> I'll take that as a complaint compliment. Okay. Whatever. No, sure. yeah. We don't know what to call it, but, and for the longest time, we didn't know what to call the bulldogs. Um, so how about that for a transition? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but here's some good news. Um, they're starting to show signs of life. Now, granted, it it's still a puzzle with a lot of missing pieces. But shall we say that the puzzle is looking as complete as it's been all season? Granted, it's mid to late November, but better late than never, right, Max? That's right. You know, um, so this past weekend, the over or the line was set at uh, six goals for between UMD and Western. And, you know, I was able to put some money down on the over and I just said, we're going to let it ride both nights. They've been dormant for too long. The trend has to break. And on Friday night, uh, the over hit less than 10 minutes into the game. I mean, we were on pace for 36 total goals <laughs> at one point and um, it was evenly matched back and forth. There was a... Um, an own goal, own goal that UMD had, which you know we'll we'll discuss we'll, a little we'll bit here, I'm that. sure. Okay. Um, and then there was a shorthanded goal uh, right after that, and then you know at that point it was just like off to the races. That well, already was off to the races by that point, but it was just a very exciting first period. Um, regardless of which team you were on, it was back and forth, and it was it was fun. It was fun for a change. It wasn't nerve wracking or frustrating, and you know I was very happy to see that happen. Friday night, you do get the victory, and it you, you can't overlook this. This is a very good Western Mis- uh, Michigan squad uh, mm-hmm. that you had to to beat again five four um, eventual score in that hockey game, uh, and it was a back and forth affair two uh, two. You're up two nothing. They come back with three straight, so end up taking the lead three two. You get two more. It's now four three. They tied on the power play four four, and then. Uh, 65 seconds left in the hockey game. Darian Goats mm-hmm. was the goat to seal the yeah. victory for UMD. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those plays where it was uh, what you always fear as a Bulldog fan, at least in the last couple of years. There's just a few plays burned into my memory where somebody's coming out of the penalty box and they come down and they they score right off of the uh, penalty kill there. And for a, a, a change, a, a, a great change in my opinion, UMD was on the other end of that. They were getting the advantage and they they took advantage of it. And it was nice to see that that clutch shooting kind of came forward. And, you know, you mentioned the score of that game. Um, we knew or I knew, I'm sure many others did as well, that with the high powered young offense that Western has been you know, producing this year, uh, UMD was going to have to score in order to win this game. And they found a way to do that. So I was I was very happy to see it. And. You know, it was nice to see some of the more trusty guys step back up and, and do it, as well as some of the younger kids get get some more um, pucks in the back of the net. Now, we talked, Max, how this could have been a very good weekend. And although Friday was a, a good moment for UMD, maybe a little sour taste. You're up 3-1 um, in the second period. You gave up four straight uh, mm-hmm. to lose this one uh, on Saturday. And, and this has been sort of the story of this of this team this year. They Shall we compare it to the Minnesota Wild? We almost have to. And I say that because it's like when you play a tighter game, you can't score, so you keep it close. But for whatever reason, at least up until this last weekend, have kind of come out on the other side of the scoring. You open it up, and there seems to be a little bit better of a chance. 
but now your defense kind of struggles a little bit. So we are still trying to figure out who the heck this Bulldog team is. But even beyond that, Max, what's the one important thing is somehow through all the tribulations that you've had, you're fourth in the NCHC at eight points. You're tied with Colorado College. You're seven and seven overall. So you haven't Wisconsin yourself out of it yet. So that's good. <laughs> um, and you, you have a fighting chance. So despite how, shall we say, maybe not excited the fan base is, you still have a shot with this thing. Yeah, um, I'm going to start the storyline now while I still can and be the first one to say, you know, this is <laughs> we're starting to see the the greatest comeback in the history of college hockey, one of the most epic collapses to start a season and underperforming teams um, is is finding a way or going to find a way to to win games and, you know, make their way back up into prominence and get some national recognition and, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully fight their way into a, a you know, a national playoff spot. So whether that be winning the NCHC tournament or getting there, you know, as one of the top uh, top seeds outside of the, those um, those guaranteed spots, um, I am starting to believe that it is possible now. And there's been a couple of of other things you mentioned. It could have been a really good weekend um, if UMD did win the Saturday game. Um, you can go. I forgot which website it's on, but you can go and actually do a a what if and mess with the pairwise. UMD is currently sitting at 38. If they had won the Saturday game against Western, that would have put them up another seven spots. They'd be at 31, which is great. If they had the same result this weekend, but they ended up sweeping Wisconsin like everybody thought they would have and should have, um, they would be all the way up at 23. So they'd already be in that conversation and they would still be ranked nationally. And, you know, you get into that what if mode and you're relying on other people to win bigger games in order to make your pairwise feel a little bit better. But Getting some wins against a good team like Western is only going to help now as well as down the road, both in the NCHC rankings as well as pairwise. So I was really, really happy to see that. The one thing I wasn't happy with and wish I could have changed about the Saturday game more than anything is that goal with two seconds left in the second period. As soon as that happened, it was a massive momentum swing. I feel like UMD was doing a pretty good job of controlling themselves, the puck, uh, pace of play, all, all sorts of stuff. And then just to give that one up, uh, kind of a, a disastrous, um, you know, way to end a period, even before the goal, it was panic everywhere. Um, but to see that one go in, you kind of knew that something bad was going to happen in the third. And you hate to say that, um, especially with how big the series was, but that, that in my opinion was, was the killer. And it's a, you know, you talk about hockey and just, you know, one of those just, timely goals that for whatever reason just carries over right it's those goals that happen in the last minute this one the last five seconds mm-hmm. and it just has this impact on momentum for both the team that scores as well as the team that gives it up and unfortunately you be on the opposite side of that coin but max let's talk about the nchc conference a bit and what i and what i mean by that is in a way would you agree that despite the bulldogs is just abhorrent start to the season. I think we can all admit that. And I'm not trying to pick on UMD, although they're making it easy for me some nights. Um, when you play in a strong conference like the NCHC, isn't there sort of a good thing associated with that? And what, I, and what I'm trying to get at is the conference forces you to sort of, you know, essentially have short-term memory loss, which is, you know, as bad as you played, you sort of have to get over that last results quickly 
whether it's good or bad, and you have to be looking ahead to what's next. So in a weird sense, if this Bulldogs team was in any other conference, would you be more concerned about their ability to sort of recover? Or is it really just a case of, no, Nick, you're, you're absolutely crazy. This is a tough conference, and this is only hurting them. What do you think? So it's a bit of both, and it's I don't know if you'll allow this answer, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Um, I would say that it is tougher to recover, while at the same time, you have more of an ability to recover. Your opportunity to recover is greater just because of you know what you just mentioned there, this, the strength of the, the, the conference itself. Um, UMD, talking about the NCHC specifically right now, their next series, they've got to buy this weekend, but their next series against Colorado College, who you just mentioned, is tied with them in NCHC standing. So you win that series outright or you get more points than them at the very least. You're jumping above them or you're 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 well above them at that point. You've got a struggling North Dakota team right now who's in the same type of position that UMD is, although they're still ranked with a worse win percentage. But we so, talked about that before as well. Right. Um <laughs> And then following that Colorado College series, you've got Denver coming to town as well. So if you're mm-hmm. able to even split with Denver, if they're still number one in the nation, you know, it's a ways down the road and we'll see where that goes. But I don't see them dropping any lower than three, even with the schedule that they've got. Like if you can split with that team, that boosts your pairwise and that helps you out a ton in the conference as well. So it's it's certainly possible and plausible that that UMD finds a way to get home ice in the NCHC tournament, as well as, you know, jump up the standings in the pairwise um, pretty rapidly. Now, granted, 38th in the pairwise, Max, I think we both, you know, as an honest conversation, that's a tough hill to climb for the pairwise. However, let's sort of retell the same story you just said. If you can steal one against Denver, if you can take care of business against Colorado College, it may not have the same impact on the pairwise, but you're going to start to build some confidence in the squad. And like we have covered with this team so often is for whatever reason, once the once the calendar turns to February, if you're building at least in somewhat of an uphill direction, this is where Scott Sandlin squads just magically like come together. So are you under the notion that as long as they're making some type of progress and if they can just sort of weather the storm, get, you know, steal a couple here, steal a couple there, and then certainly beat the teams you're supposed to beat, minus Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I'm sorry. No, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there's a chance there. And again, the Bulldogs, they came all the way back. And, you know, after getting, shall we say, embarrassed on home ice to the St. Clos Huskies only to embarrass them the next weekend at their home building went on to win the NCHC frozen faceoff, which gave them that auto bid into the NCAA uh, playoffs. So again, if you can maintain a home ice position, you still are very much in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is the more plausible route is to go through the NCHC and win there. It's just fewer games and, you know, they are probably a little bit tougher games than, than, you know, most of the rest of their schedule, but the rest of their schedule is largely NCHC, NCHC teams anyway. So um, like you had mentioned there, I think UMD more than probably most other teams learns from their mistakes and learns from playing an opponent and Sandlin, you know, not only tailors his game to the current guys that he has and figures it out throughout the year, but he also figures out what's going on in the conference as well. So he's figuring out where the weaknesses are in these other teams. So the more that UMD is going to get to play some of these other teams, I think the better that they're going to play them uh, on the ice as well. So 
I hope it doesn't take until February for him to to kind of figure it out. And you you had mentioned the um, the confidence level in the the locker room as well. So it's like if they can gain some of that confidence and you know pick off a couple wins here or there, and you just continue to build as you had mentioned. Uh, I think there's a, a serious chance, especially with this coaching staff and the you know talent on paper that's on the team. Um, Teeson continues to play well. He had a, a little bit of a step back in terms of stats this past weekend just because of the amount of goals that were scored in the series. But by no means was it a bad weekend for him. So um, I, I think that UMD does have what it takes to to weather the storm at the very least to to remain competitive um, and and keep some some semblance of playoff hope alive. If I'm a betting man and I'm not for obvious reasons, because my takes usually are not right. But sure. when you look at maybe let's identify two of the biggest, shall we say, lead anchors that are holding this team back a little bit, Max. Uh, the two that I saw were penalties yep. and goals against. Um, yep. That's what I see. Do you see the same or are there more than still needs a little bit of, shall we say, um, refinement in the game? Yeah, the penalties are and have been uh, a, a massive hindrance for for the squad in general. Uh, I think the penalty kill struggles uh, a lot, especially it's seemingly near the end of the penalty kill, which I, I get it. I mean, that's how penalty kills work, especially if you've got the, uh, a power play that's capable of moving the puck around. You tie your guys out and that's where the holes open up. But it, it seems like the last, you know, 20, 25 seconds of every one of these is where they're getting some really high quality shots that are really tough to stop for a goaltender. And those kind of go hand in hand, which you had mentioned there before in the penalty kill and goals against there. So um, it's it's going to be something that needs to be worked on. I think there's going to be a, a tough talk with some of, you know, younger guys and older guys alike about, you know, maybe putting your body on the line and getting some blocked shots rather than, um trying to stick check and and get out of it that way um and it's going to be a hard fought battle and you know it's not not always a fun way to do it but you're seeing how how important it is and we've already seen you know earlier this year a, a block shot lead to a umd goal on a fast break so you know they've they've got it in their mind of of what can happen when you're willing to kind of lay your body on the line as it were um for that that type of a kill and and what needs to be done with the team that they've got right now so that combined with uh, a little bit more scoring, hopefully being able to continue moving forward against some of the conference opponents. Um, I, I think it is going to be something that needs work, but can can be improved on and will be improved on. I have one more that I just thought of, uh, and it, maybe this is maybe not fair, but I, I think it does deserve conversation. When we've seen Bulldogs teams in the past who were successful, they had a good balance and they had contributions up and down the lineup. In fact, the Bulldogs teams I remember are one of the better teams at five on five. Yeah. Um, when you are taking as many penalties as you are, that's not helping. And what's also sort of spinning the proverbial wheel, Maxwell, is you're looking at guys like Isaac Howard, um, who just hasn't seemed to have sort of and, and this is where I, I I feel like maybe this is a bit of a stretch uh, where he hasn't really seemed to have gotten comfortable yet um, in division one hockey. And granted, he's a, he's a talent. He's a, he's a, he's a big draft pick for a reason, but let's flip that conversation off. Let's say that the Bulldogs do reduce their penalties. Then Isaac Howard can get more five on five. 
is this a sleeping giant in a really weird and on you know just kind of a you know just that minnesota way where there's that that eternal hope i mean am i onto something or am i on am, am i on something's in my cup yeah no that is uh it is funny to say that, you know, this 500 team that's had some brutal losses and embarrassing weekends, um, calling them a sleeping giant. But I think you are onto something there. Um, you know, people like uh, Isaac Howard or, and Cole Spicer, specifically those two, have had a little bit of a, a, a struggle finding their spot in college hockey and on this UMD team, whereas some of the younger guys like a Ben Steves has not necessarily struggled as much. He's been able to find the back of the net and, you know, get a little bit more play. Um, but with more, you know, full ice time, when you've got all of your lines and all of the the players being able to go out there, I think it is opening it up a little bit more for, you know, some of those higher talent or higher prospect guys that, that haven't gotten as much time right now, or haven't gotten as many chances or haven't had as much, um, time to gel, if you will, with, with the other guys that are on the team. So yeah, five on five, they do need to improve on it right now as well. I think it's it's pretty obvious there, but it's much easier to improve when you've got the ability to maintain control of the puck. It doesn't even have to be on the power play, but just learning how to play with your teammates on that five on five is going to help those guys specifically in the future. So uh, we've mentioned it, I think last weekend, probably the week before, like, I don't know that this team can go further downhill, um, maybe from last weekend, but you know, from the start, I don't think they can go further downhill from where they were no. in terms of how the play was. So, yeah, I, I do expect quite a bit more um, fight out of the guys. And, you know, it's not necessarily just the tenacity or the, you know, hot headedness or willingness to to actually get to pucks and things like that. I'm, I'm talking about a, a skilled and tactical fight from these Bulldogs in, in getting pucks to the net and getting good scoring opportunities rather than just, you know, throwing rubber at some pipes. So, um Sleeping Giant is a little tough for, to, to sell me on it right now, but I think there's certainly potential for these guys to wake up and, and turn some heads. And it, just for me, right, you can't ever count out a team coached by Scott Sandlin. So that's where my faith comes into play. And, and maybe it's misplaced, but uh, I still feel like the Bulldogs are trending slowly, but surely in the right direction. And I do think that, Maybe the best thing for them might be the holiday break. Let's just put it that way. I think they'll have a chance to reset. Yeah, yeah. They've got a a, a favorable schedule right now. It is kind of tough at the end of the year when you're battling guys throughout and then having to go right into playoffs. I wish there was a bye week near the end there. But um, having, having the schedule they've got right now is what's best for this team, in my opinion. And it sounds like your opinion as well, where you've got your bye week this week, Thanksgiving, spend some time with family, do what you need to do, kind of get right. Come back, big series against Colorado College, just in terms of retribution there, getting your feet back onto you. Bigger series against um, Denver, uh, who is obviously one of the best teams in the nation. If you're able to you know, stay in those games, compete, maybe win one out, you've got another break for, for Christmas, the rest of the holidays there. And then you're coming back to another get-right game, if you will, and I don't want to overlook any of these other previous ones, or this one in particular, with St. Thomas and then Bemidji, who you ease back into conference play after that. And so, yeah, I think the the schedule that they've got in front of them here is very favorable for, for the Bulldogs. And, you know, I, it's hard to say that it was well thought out because people thought they would be in a better position than right now. But it's certainly um, looking like it could be really good for, for the team.
If you're trying to get yourself back to bulldog hockey, uh, the schedule is going to give you an opportunity to do that, right, Max? Um, And that's what they need to do. So uh, after Thanksgiving break again at home versus the Tigers, I'm hoping that UMD can pull it off. Uh, Max, well, thank you again for spending some time with us. Um, There's a different team that is showing some much bigger frustrations um, back uh, not only on this, but also on the bench. Uh, We need to bring in our friend Ryan Stieg to discuss all things St. Thomas hockey as the pressure continues to mount and shall we say the water is boiling there in Mendota Heights. And welcome everybody back to the MNCAA podcast. Ryan Stieg now joins me who covers the St. Thomas Tommies. Uh, Ryan, Welcome back into the show. Um, I wish we were covering this team a little bit different this week, but actually we have to spend a little bit more time on how emotions continue to get more tense, if that's the word. Yeah, um, I, I feel like there's some tension going on. They uh, Tommies are getting frustrated. It's uh, it was pretty evident, um, especially after Saturday, that um, – you know, they're right on the edge. They know that that was a winnable game. Um, Friday was probably winnable too, and they let them both slip away. Um, that shorthanded goal Saturday was a killer. And um, there's, <laughs> it's, pre- it, it's pretty evident that, you know, frustration is starting to set in with them a little bit. We talked about how frustration was already sort of creeping into the coaching staff as well as the players after last weekend. Again, now, for those who don't follow St. Thomas too uh, very closely, they now have lost six straight. But of those six, four of those by a single goal. And mm-hmm. the attitude from what you're telling us is that although when we talked last week that this team would have killed to be in these sort of one-goal contests, the expectations have been higher this year. This team is playing 60-minute hockey. And not only did the staff, but the players believe that they can win these games. And you sort of get this you know, combination of expectations and emotions when things aren't going well. Because last year, the conversation, Ryan, it was about moral victories. This year's conversation is about the victories that have been missed. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, what Rico has said... Um, quite a few times that he's getting sick of talking about moral victories. You know, that was more of a last year thing. You know, we need to be winning games. And I understand that because a lot of these games were winnable games. Instead of having two wins, St. Thomas should have probably six or seven at this point. Um, it's, you know, the moral victories kind of go away at, at this point. And, um, so it's like I'm trying to search for positives and the losses, but I can tell that they don't really want to talk talk about the positives <laughs> out of the game. They lost the game. They don't really want to reflect on that. So um, I'm glad expectations are raised because they are a better team this year. They're keeping up with good teams. They should have beat good teams. They should have gotten a win against Michigan Tech. Could have beat Mankato a couple weeks ago. Could have beaten Penn State. Should have beaten Bowling Green two weeks ago. I mean, it it they're right on the cusp of like achieving success. And what I mentioned in my preview earlier is that they're almost there to have some sustained, like not just oh we got a big win, but actually get two in a row or potentially yeah. three in a row. And like instead of getting like these little achievements 
you know, that were kind of big last year, but then being able to build on that and get some momentum, it, uh, it's, it, it, there's obvious some frustration in there and, um, we'll see if it finally comes to a head and they're actually able to get it done this week. And it sort of has to, right? I, I, you could definitely feel that the frustrations are mounting. Let's do a quick recap. And what I want to focus on is on essentially towards the end of the game on Saturday, Ryan. Uh, so uh, the loss on Friday was a 6-2 to two, uh, loss. Now, mind you, tied 2-2 two, two after two periods. So when we talk about the frustrations mounting and when we talk about winnable games, this is a team that – if there's any one thing that's carried over from last year that St. Thomas wants to sort of squash is the team essentially in the third period or late in games just sort of falling apart. And uh, let's start this way. Uh, Kyle Kukkinen, uh, or is it Kukkinen? Uh, Maple Grove product, either way. Uh, a power play goal followed by a shorthanded goal, another power play goal, and then essentially a, a an unassisted goal, four straight for Michigan Tech to put that one out of reach in the third. And then, again, four to three on Saturday. This is where emotions really got to Rico Blasi. I'm going to have you expand on that. It's 3-3 three, three in the third. And then, as you mentioned, the shorthanded goal, just about two minutes and eight seconds left in regulation. And sometimes, Ryan, it's not that the goal was scored. It's when, and this late in the hockey game, this one hurts. It it it, it hurt, and uh, I I just cover the team, and it hurt me a little bit too, because <laughs> they they were so close, and it just slipped away again. I mean, the third period has been their jinx. Last year it was because they were gassed in a lot of games. Yep. It's a bunch of D three players playing against D one players. A lot of them experienced D one players. This year it's like they've got a lot of talent to keep up with them, but for some reason can't seem to close out victories. They'll either have a lead then it'll disappear or they'll be tied and on the cusp of getting a lead and it'll, you know, go away and the other team just explodes. Happened with Mankato, happened with Michigan Tech. And then Saturday, it was such – Tech jumped onto that lead and I'm sitting there thinking in the first period, is it already over? Is it? I mean, I, I don't like to think that, but just the way Tech was playing and it's like – Jeez, this could be like a six nothing game or something like that tonight. But they chipped away. St. Thomas got two back on a major power play. Um, they kept with it, kind of outplayed tech in the second period, finally tied it. Great game by great uh, goal by Tim uh, Pioski. That was really, really cool. It's a great setup that he got it. And then they kill off a tech, a tech power play. They get their own power play, and it disappeared with that shorthanded goal. And it was so such a big letdown. You could see the guys just, as soon as it happened, everybody kind of hunched over, like, we did all that, and it goes away on that. And I felt bad for Aaron Trotter, too, the goaltender, because the same guy scored shorthanded the night before. And I think Trotter knew where he was going to go with the puck and had him, the angle was covered and everything. He played absolutely perfectly, actually made the save and the refs watching it the whole time. And he's about to say that it didn't go in. And then you see the puck just slowly slide under the pad that he had. So he played it perfectly and it just went slightly under his leg pad. So it was like not even a really great goal. It was a just, a tough break on them and it just and it was obvious that 
the players were down coming out, um, you know, the, uh, when I was down by the locker room area and nobody was really talking, everybody was kind of really subdued. Um, and naturally that's the case. And then, uh, Rico is obviously frustrated. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <that> was, <laughs> and it, it was pretty evident that he was frustrated too. So Ryan, I want to focus in on the frustration shown by Rico Blasi because, uh, we, we chat, you know, as, as Paul Anna would say in KFN, we, 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 we talk and, sh- and text more than people know. And during the Saturday game, was there already a bench minor called um, bef- like during the game or he was really close to one? I know that. But shall we say that, you know, if there was a boiling pressure cooker, uh, the, the lid had blown off of Rico Blasi uh, on Saturday for sure. Yeah, I, I think the frustration started off pretty early with uh, um, that early tech league lead that, that they had. They jumped up to a tool lead really quick and uh, there was a bench minor called. Um unsportsmanlike um behavior and that was a bit of a surprise but at the same time not (laughs) because i'm sitting there i'm like okay who said something to the ref and in my experience it's usually the coach that said something it's usually not a player thing so they tech goes on it i can't remember if they scored on that power play or not but it was uh that was a sign that things were starting to falter a little bit um and it just I think he's frustrated too because the expectations are raised this year, and for some reason mm-hmm. the team isn't getting the wins that they should have gotten. I mean, this team could very easily at this point, maybe even eight nine wins if they could just figure out how to close out the, the third period. And it was he's frustrated, the players are frustrated, and I think it just all came to a head that game. And the officiating was not good. I'll be the first one to say it. It was wildly inconsistent. Um, which which me... obviously helps a, a team in frustration, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, when when you're struggling and, you know, you're pissed off. Yeah, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's add some terrible officiating in it, too. It was, it was uh, I mean, just really inconsistent. They'll call, they called some penalties, but not other ones that were even more obvious. Some were majors that probably shouldn't be majors. There were minors that should be majors. And it just, I mean, Michigan Tech was frustrated as well. Um, Joe Sean was asking to actually see a replay on one of the penalties they had because he was insistent that it shouldn't have been a major and he wanted to see the replay after the game when he was up in the press box. So just it was not a good night for the CCHA when it comes to their officiating if there's that much anger from the coaches and the the players weren't as vocal about it, but I could tell they were frustrated too. So. So I, I want to touch on one other thing um, here, Ryan, because post game on Saturday, um, there's typically uh, a time where, regardless if it's good or bad, the coaches and maybe some of the players, um, you know, speak to the media. Rico, shall we say, was in no rush and no shape or form to to give anybody a. Um, essentially uh, an explanation of what happened uh walk us through what you saw and maybe what you heard um post game with rico blasi well, well that was interesting uh because my first thought um as soon as the whistle happened i'm like well, this is going to be an interesting press conference because i know how fire he gets when he's frustrated and i'm like i'm either going to get either calm down subdued 
thinking carefully of what he's going to say, Rico Blasi, or I'm going to get, I'm going to tell you what I really think, <laughs> Rico Blasi. So it's like, I want to, which one am I going to get? I'm going to get a glorious soundbite that I can use in the story, or am I going to, you know, get typical coach speak like, yeah, I wasn't happy with the officiating, that kind of a thing. But, you know, there's so, and then it, he came up to do the radio interview and he was on there for maybe 30 seconds and then left and the the how it works with saint thomas is we he does the radio first and then he usually comes down and does the media with like the written media and any like podcasters or whoever who decide to show up and we're waiting and we're about to go down and we were thinking maybe we give him an extended cooling off period a little bit um because he's very visibly upset so but then we, he comes back up and we find out that he's not talking. He basically left, <laughs> and which is a first oh, for me. I've never had that happen before. Um, so I'm left wondering, well, what's that about? Is he upset with me? Is he, you know, what's going on there? So, um, but they were able to find a player. I could tell St. Thomas was feeling bad that, you know, I didn't get to talk to the coach, so they went for me player. I talked to Tim. Tim's a great interview in case anybody ever wants to do a story on him. Tim's a great guy to talk to, but um, got that taken care of, and I was just wondering what was going on. I did hear from Rico later in the evening. He tried to tell me that it wasn't personal, but he had somewhere to be, which – yeah, away, away from the media at that point. That's what it was. And, you know, Ryan, you know, I get it. I, and I think most sports people get it. I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't think it was personal. But as frustrations mount for a team that continues to pile up losses when they should have not necessarily all of them be wins, but some of them at least, the last people that you want to have to talk to and explain the exact same things is to any member of the media. And I know that this is a tough time for St. Thomas. Here's the good news, though. They get to try to prove it again this weekend against Lake Superior State. So if you're going to try to pull, you know, any sort of hope, you know, not that frustrations can't get worse because they certainly can, yeah. um, but they have an opportunity against Lake Superior, who I think we thought preseason was going to be a stronger team than they've shown. Um, again, it's another home series, so that maybe helps, but... Ryan, let's take 30 seconds real quick to preview Lake Superior and, and could they escape the doldrums here against uh, against LSSU? Well, Lake State's an interesting team. They, they're playing not as good as I thought they would. I thought they'd be higher in the standings. They're actually dead last behind Ferris, which I really didn't see happening. Um, but they're off to a slow start, but they're, they're still a very potent team. They've got a great offense led by Louis Badone. Um, one of my favorite players to watch. He, um, there's just it's not coming together for them so far this year, and it's kind of like St. Thomas, but not like St. Thomas, like underachieving, but not in the devastatingly heartbreaking way that St. Thomas does in the third period. So it's a little different story there. I think, you know, I said this last week, and I said this against Bowling Green. But I'm going to say St. Thomas finally gets a, gets that victory this week because they beat Lake State last year, and, yeah, every team is different. That's just how the years go. But they know how to play them, and Saint, like, they're getting Lake State at the best time because Lake State isn't playing very well right now. So if they're going to 
finally end the skid that they're on, this is the weekend to do it because it's not going to get any easier because then they get they got to go Bemidji and then they face Ferris again and then they get so and then the second half of the season is going to be even tougher. So if they're going to get that win, this is probably the best time to do it. And uh, you definitely want to get something feeling good before the holiday break too, Ryan. We know that St. Thomas was uh, a much better team in the second half last year. Um, hopefully trying to turn it around before that mark, and we'll have to keep a watch on that. Uh, Ryan, again, from thetripledeek.com, thank you very much. We need to head over to our friend Alex Micheletti to talk about another team wearing purple. That's the Minnesota State Mavericks. <laughs> now pleased to be joined with Alex Micheletti here to talk all things Minnesota State Mavericks. Alex, welcome back to the show. Always good to see you. Yes, good to, good to see you too, Nick. Uh, speaking of good things to see, uh, Minnesota State continue on their winning ways, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They split this past weekend um, a overtime uh, loss against Northern Michigan, followed by a 4-1 to response there on Saturday. Alex, uh, last time we chatted, uh, you told me Minnesota was almost unbeatable at home. It took overtime, uh, but again, it's still a very tough place to play, but Northern Michigan stole one from you guys. Yeah. Um, you know, Grant Patoni's got a good squad and, uh, like we, like we talked about last episode and, uh, um, you know, to, for them to get the overtime win, you know, they were also down two nothing in that game and came back and won three to two. So got to give credit to them. Uh, you know, that's, that's a win for them. That could be huge uh, come playoff time if they are on the bubble of uh, uh, for the pairwise. So you know, good for them. But uh, you know, nice bounce back win for Minnesota State on Saturday too to get the split uh, because you get swept at home. You know, against a team that's you know right there with you at the top of uh, uh, the CCHA standings. That that's tough. So yeah, good bounce back Saturday for sure. Let's let's talk about Friday a little bit, just because special teams, shall we say, were maybe the Achilles heel for the Mavs. Uh, you go out to a two nothing lead. You do get a power play goal by Lucas Souter, mm-hmm. um, and then it was maybe the wake up call because Northern Michigan responds with the power play goal of their own from Artem. Is it Schlein? Yes. Yep. 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 Artem yep. Schlein, and then this one's probably the killer: a short-handed goal by AJ Vanderback with less than fifty three ticks on the clock in the second and Alex we're both hockey guys we both understand that sometimes it's not the goal is scored but sometimes when if whatever reason in the game of hockey whenever a goal goes in and under 60 seconds in, that tends to be a big momentum shift oh 100 percent. and you know especially when it's a special teams goal to yeah it's tough uh, and you can't let a guy like that score he also got the game winner in overtime so um, yeah, he's a, AJ's a fantastic player and, uh, you know, credit to him, uh, you know, good, good game winning goal for sure. So, and, and as we talk as hockey people, right, is it's not sometimes that you get beat, it's how you respond. Mm-hmm. And uh, Minnesota State did respond nicely again, four to one. Uh, was this game more of the Mike Hastings-esque type of game or was this more of a sour taste in the mouth and uh, they just went out and decided this is going to be, we're not letting these guys take two from us on a home ice. Yeah. The, the, the latter, I think, um, you know, um, like we've talked about this team hates losing at home and uh, you know, they got back to their defensive you know, structure, their game. And uh, you know, Keenan had a bounce back uh, game. Uh, you know, he may, he did make some big saves on Friday, but uh, 
know, it's, it's tough, uh, tough giving that one up in, in overtime at home. And so, um, you know, it was surprising that I thought, uh, you know, that Hastings went right back to Rancier because um, uh, usually he's been going to the other guy after the loss. So um, yeah, you know, good, good for good bounce back for Keenan for sure. And this is where, and I'm glad you brought up the goaltending duo that Minnesota state has been rotating at least so far. Kenny mm-hmm. Rance here and Alex Tracy, again, very high on Alex Tracy, one of Todd Knott's uh, wonderful recruits uh, mm-hmm. again from the Illinois area. But this is where goaltending and shall we say goaltenders um, are a bit of a different species, right? Alex And mm-hmm. you know, I guess, it's not that Keenan Rainsier has played great or played bad, but any idea why Mike Hastings goes back to Keenan Rainsier? Is it more about him and trying to rebound after a, a close loss, or is this more on Alex Tracy and maybe still not quite up to where Mike Hastings wants him to be? Yeah, I think I definitely think it's the latter two on that one as well. Um, you know, I, I just I think uh, the confidence level might be a little bit down for for Alex Tracy and. Uh, you know, last time he played, he actually got pulled with a lead, um, you know, against yeah. against St. Thomas. So that was that was really that was an eye opener for sure. And, uh, you know, I think maybe Hastings just trusts, you know, technically the older guy um, and, uh, you know, uh, as a sophomore for for Keenan. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, for right now, it looks like Keenan has the job. Uh, we'll see how he does, you know, on the road in in a tough place in, in Michigan Tech. They might not have the students because it's Thanksgiving, um, you know, weekend. But uh, you know, it's it's one of the hardest places to play for sure in the country. Is we've we've talked about this before because goaltending, especially when you had a name of Dryden McKay in that, there was mm. essentially no worry with <laughs> between the pipes. Now, a bit of a different story this season here, Alex. And again, mm-hmm. it's youth. It, it's the dreaded turnover right that every college hockey team faces at some point you know yeah. during their span um if you're a Mavs fan are you really watching the goaltending duo and more so if someone takes the mantle is that what you're trying to see short up or you know is this kind of being overblown a little bit no it's the main it's the main issue uh you know they're also missing guys like Bennett Smolik who was a stalwart on D last last year he, he still hasn't played yet and they have the BCHL MVP, Simon Tassie, who hasn't played yet because he tore his ACL in the playoffs last year. And so they might they might get him back this season. They might not. Uh, they're hoping after Christmas to get him back. But, you know, that's that's the guy that, you know, they were counting on to fill uh, Nathan Smith's shoes. And so it's tough not having him. But you look at the other freshmen, you know, are, they're, they're stepping up. Uh, you know, they, Luke Wilson – has been playing really well and Christian Fitzgerald has been contributing and you got another defenseman, uh, you know, Mason Wheeler has been playing a lot of minutes as a freshman and Campbell psychos. What a crazy last name. He's, he's gotten in there too. Quite literally. And, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, so he's gotten in there. So they're getting contributions from their young guys, but uh, it all comes down to goaltending as we know. And um, uh, you know, at some point I'd like to see someone take it for the rest of the season, but uh you know, if someone slips up, uh, you know, I'm sure Alex Tracy will get, get back in there. So, and, and I guess that's sort of the, the million dollar question, right, Alex? And that is, you know, Keenan has been good, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been great. 
Um, Alex, of course, it's definitely in hockey. You don't ever hear of a goaltender getting pulled when you have the lead. That's not something (laughs) that ever really happens. And sometimes it's not always on the goaltender. Sometimes it's a a message to the team in front of them. Mm -hmm. But is there a fear that if Keenan, shall we say, takes a step back or or maybe has a tough weekend, uh, it it does make a coach's decision-making a bit, more difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. on one hand, you want to get a goaltender back out there to try to, you know, redeem himself. Or do you say, hey, maybe you need to sit, but this goaltender we have as a backup has also been struggling. This is this could turn out to be quite the conundrum if Keenan isn't able to at least stand pat to where he is right now. Is it am I am I crazy or am I not? Yeah. Um, you know, my casings, you know, he hasn't had, had to deal with this for for a long time. Um so um, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be interesting how, how they handle it throughout the season. And, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully they get a guy like Bennett's Mullick back too. That will help shore up the defense as well, because, um, as we all know, um, a lot of it, um, is the defensive system that Mike Hastings has too. Um, and so, um, you got to rely, uh, <laughs> rely on that to, to get, to get your places as well. Um, and hope. Hope the goaltenders make the make the the easy ones. Um, you know, so uh yeah, it's gonna be interesting to watch. Um, you know, and they gotta continue to get more healthy. Um, you know, missing a guy like Sam Morton, um, who has been on absolute fire. Uh from what Hastings has said, they might not get him back until Christmas too, which is that's tough because that's another guy that you're you know, relying as an upperclassman to to score a lot of goals. So a guy you mentioned, like Lucas Souter, has to continue to play well. A guy like Ryan Sandlin, he's very streaky, but when he's on, he can score a lot, as we saw last year as a twenty-goal scorer. So, yeah, it's uh, they're they're in an interesting part of the season uh, grind. Uh, we talked about uh, you know lots of travel for them now of coming up, mm-hmm. and uh, yep. uh, like I said, getting up to the Upper Peninsula is is, is interesting, and uh, I think they left uh, tonight, um, and so I'm sure. They'll have Thanksgiving up there as a team, and uh, yeah, we'll see see how they do against uh, the Huskies. And it's as you mentioned to Alex with the travel schedule. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. At some point, the schedule was going to get, in terms of travel, tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself, you know, was uh, you know doing a, a bus league myself not too long ago uh, with uh, North Iowa and the NHL. And uh, I'll tell you what, getting off of a game on Saturday at ten and then doing a six-hour drive back to Albert Lee, plus then getting back to the cities, that's a haul to say it lightly. And it's an under Show us an underappreciated part of college athletics, right? Is the travel can be, you know, a part of a distraction. But I guess, Alex, if if you're if you're the coaching staff and Mike Hastings, you know, you've got unsettled goaltending, you've got mm-hmm. some injuries. Uh, I guess how best do you approach this part of the season? So just to just to kind of preview it for folks, um, they get no Thanksgiving break. They're in on it back in action on Friday uh, and Saturday at Michigan tech. They come home for Ferris state. Then they're on the road again, Bowling green before coming back. You have four more series before the holiday break. So it's going to be a busy schedule. It's a lot of hockey to play. Uh, how do you approach this part of the schedule, which is you're not going to have a day off. Yeah. You got to be careful in practice and uh, you know, give guys lots of rests. And um, like I said, they're missing some key guys. And so they, uh, they got to be careful, um, you know, and uh, 
um, you know, take it, take it easy uh, because, you know, some of their key contributors are guys that have been the guys for, you know, the past couple of seasons. Um, and so um, you need a guy like Sam Morton back uh, and then getting a guy like Simon Tassi, if he does come back, will be a huge, gigantic boost because, you know, when you have that pedigree of being an MVP, that's, that's huge. And um, yeah, we'll see, you know, they had another, another MVP in Alex Tracy uh, he's off to a, to a slow start, but uh, at some point they'll probably need him too. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting part of the, to the season. And uh, like Keenan Rancier said on the Maverick hockey uh, podcast, uh, every team they're playing from here on out is, is gunning, to, to beat the Mavs because the Mavs have held down the CCHA trophy for, you know, well, what, five in a row, six in a row. So, about, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, um, you know, they've been the top dog and they always have a target on their back, no matter who they're playing. So let's talk about the target this weekend. That's Michigan tech uh, who just played St. Thomas and uh, shall we say uh, continued the dreaded uh, win loss record for the Tommies who have, lost a lot of close games um so what can we expect from michigan tech i mean again they've got some people who can score i don't know if they're underrated um or shall i say overrated alex but they're sort of this tweener team that i i think it's all you can almost say it's almost like a, a streaky's goal score where they have moments where they can play very well those have moments where they can't seem to score what should we expect from this matchup yeah, I mean, they always play the Mavs tough, and they're another team that's fantastic at home. Like I said, the atmosphere uh, there is, is awesome. Um, you know, they might not have the student section, which takes a little bit out of it, so that might help the Mavs. But uh, it's an older rink, a smaller rink, and so, um, you know, I'm, the games always are physical, too, between these two teams. And so, yeah, it should be a fun, fun weekend of hockey up there. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I would expect another split. Uh, you know, they, they are coming, they, they are coming up sweeping, uh, St. Thomas, but those games are close for, for two periods. And then the wheels kind of fell off, uh, for the Tommies in the third period, which happened for the Mavs against the Tommies as well. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's exciting, uh, exciting brand of hockey that Michigan tech plays. Um, uh, you know, they, they're coming off an NCAA, uh, tournament appearance, just like the Mavs. And so, uh, I would expect them to be right in the mix, uh, you know, come playoff time as well. It's uh, going to be a fight to the finish uh, here for the CCHE again. Uh, Mavericks holding down that number one spot, uh, but shall we say it, it's not as secure uh, as we yeah. felt last year. So definitely need to take care of business in the conference when you have those matchups. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. You have a happy Thanksgiving. Always appreciate it. We have one more recording. We have a special guest to join us here later here on the MNCAA podcast. And joining us for the first ever time, yes, folks, uh, the past year and a half here on the MNCAA podcast, we've had five of the six teams covered. We finally, hopefully, have a permanent residence to cover our sixth team in Division One. That is the Bemidji State Beavers. And to do that, we have welcomed in Christian Babcock. Christian, welcome to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Good to be on. 
Christian, so to give our listeners and our viewers uh, on YouTube a little bit of a preview and maybe a background of who you are, tell us about um, your role with the team or who you're covering, where you came from. Just give us a little bit of a brief bio of Christian Babcock. Alrighty. So yeah, I'm originally from California, the Bay Area. I went to school at Arizona State, studied sports journalism, and was looking for a job in Bemidji was a great fit. So I work for the Bemidji Pioneer. I'm a sports reporter and I cover Bemidji State men's and women's hockey among a host of other things. But that's kind of my biggest beat in town. And that's been uh, a big introduction to hockey for me and how it's done in Minnesota, which is very different from how it's done in Arizona or California. That's for sure. So you're saying that the biggest ticket in town in the state of hockey is a hockey team. That's what I'm hearing. Generally speaking, and that is true in Bemidji as well, for sure. <laughs> well, Christian, again, as as we talked before, happy to have you on board. Uh, very excited to give our listeners and uh, a, a university that's been, shall we say, uh, needing some coverage. So we appreciate it coming on. So let's jump right into it, shall we? Uh, let's just do a quick recap of Bemidji's season uh, so far to date. So here's where they stand. Um, they are 5-3-2 overall, so... A 600 percentage, not terrible. Um, they're three, one, and two in the conference. Um, they're on a one game winning streak. We'll talk about this uh, last week in here coming up. But Bemidji State, as you, I'm sure, have watched Christian, are kind of this team where they're good and then on another night, maybe not so good. It, it, they're kind of a seesaw. Am I, am I onto something there, or, or what have you seen from the Beavers so far? I would agree that the results have been somewhat of a seesaw. One thing that they've done consistently this year is get a lot of shots up, which they did not always do last year. And that's been something they've talked about has been more or less what they've been looking for for the team. So like you mentioned, they're at 600, which they could be better. I feel like they've had a good start to the season. They've probably exceeded my expectations. I think they've probably even exceeded Coach Tom Sertori's expectations in certain facets. So they'll have a run of opponents in the CCHA that they all could beat and they all could lose to. So I think it's just going to be a matter of whether or not they're going to put enough wins together to be near the top of the conference. And then at that point, if if things fall the right way, they'll have a chance at the NCAA tournament. So I'm not saying this is necessarily a tournament team, but I think it's one that has a chance to be when it's all said and done. They're a sneaky team, and I'm glad you mentioned Thomas Serratori. Um, assistant coach Mike Gibbons, um, I know Mike very, very well, uh, former ECU uh, high school head coach, uh, which is where I went to high school. He's also one of the assistant coaches at St. Cloud, again, um, a student under that as well. So I know Mike very well, and he's running the offense up there with Bemidji State. And it's interesting because you have kind of a, shall we say, a dichotomy there because Tom Serratori's system is sort of, you know, lay back and be a defensive-minded team first and then sort of be opportunistic on offense. But what you're telling me is they recognize that if for them to be successful, they need to generate more offense organically. Um, and it seemed to be doing that so far this season. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think they've been pretty happy with how their defense has played, but they've had a lot of offensive zone time, which – Sometimes offense can be the best defense, as, as yes. silly as that can sound. But the more shots they get up, the more – it hasn't always led to goals, which is something they've talked about trying to finish. But when it does, I mean, they beat St. Cloud. They, they, they have a high ceiling, but they're a young team, and they've been somewhat inconsistent. So it'll just be a matter of how much they can put it together 
over a stretch. And they have plenty of games to figure it out. So we'll see how it all kind of comes together for them. And Bemidji is no stranger to being kind of spoilers and, and sort of surprising some people. You mentioned St. Cloud, uh, one of the top five teams in the nation. They took one out of that series earlier this season. Uh, they For the untrained eye, they stunned Wisconsin in the first round of the NCAA playoffs, although I'll say a lot of the hockey minds that are around here in the state of Minnesota are actually ever calling that upset just because of the way Bemidji State plays. And if they add another wrinkle of offense to their game, they could be that sneaky team. Um, so let's talk about last weekend here, Christian, um, against Northern Michigan, another CCHA foe, um, a, a two to nothing loss um, in Marquette, followed by a good response game four one in the win column. Uh, what was your assessment of that weekend's performance? I think it's just another example of kind of the inherent volatility. They continue to play games where most of them have been close, but occasionally the offense will break out like you'll see in a four one win. And they're just kind of finding their way. I mean, the CCHA is a lot more open this year at the top. Minnesota State is still an excellent team, and they're going to be. But they're not what they were last year. So that adds a little bit of an opening. And then, as always, there's that chase pack behind them. And Bemidji State has a chance to emerge. But I think as this stretch comes up, they have Lake State in a few weeks. They They will be playing Minnesota State before Christmas. We'll get to see whether these shot totals will stay consistent and lead to goals. And then we'll have a better idea of what this team is really going to do toward the end of the year. And I think you're right. I do think that if Bemidji wants to be the team that contends for a top spot in the conference and and wants to push towards Minnesota state, uh, they have to figure out a way to be consistent on offense. We know, under territory, they're a you know very sound defensive team, but the offense has to be there, right? So let's talk about this next weekend's matchup, shall shall we say? And let's just say the history doesn't bode well for Bemidji State. Now, mind you, um, it never bodes well for a lot of teams going into Grand Forks, North Dakota. We're talking about the North Dakota Fighting Hawks. Um, history-wise, going back to 1970, five wins, 33 losses, six ties. Um, Yikes, right? It's it's never been a, a favorable matchup, but this might actually be one of those, shall we say, times where you're catching a team at the right time. North Dakota hasn't been playing their best hockey, nor have they been the team that I think most of us college hockey fans identify with, which is that powerhouse team. What do you see in this matchup? I think it's another example of where they'll have a chance to sort of play up. You mentioned North Dakota has not had the start they were looking for a lot of people thought they would have, but that's the kind of team with the kind of talent that can flip a switch at any time. And I, I would assume they're probably coming into the series, looking at, looking at it as a bit of a get right before they get back to the NCHC. So I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk at all, but it's another series where you get that volatility of a young and inexperienced team. That's also working in some transfers. I would not be surprised with almost any result in this series last year. Bemidji State went into Grand Forks and beat North Dakota. You could argue that was their best win of the year, maybe beating Michigan Tech in the CCHA playoff semifinals was the best, certainly one of the two or three best wins. So I think it'll be another good litmus test. And for Bemidji State, it's kind of a way to see a different level of competition that they might see apart from a Minnesota State before they get back into the CCHA and try to make a bit of a stretch run before the Christmas break. 
agree 100%. Uh, you know, we talked about how Bemidji has been sort of volatile or up and down. Um, how about North Dakota? Let's just talk about their last weekend, uh, bringing in uh, Miami, who has been better this season, uh, but they're certainly not in, I, I think, a lot of people's eyes, an upper echelon team, not only in college hockey, but also a very tough NCHC conference. They blow out the Red Hawks 7-1 to on Friday. But then guess what? Miami comes in opens up a 3-0 win. North Dakota did storm back 3-3, and then a late goal by the Red Hawks sealed a steal for them on home ice 4-3. So I, I guess if you're going to look at the series, it's a home-and-home, home, I should say, um, with the with the Fighting Hawks. Uh, again, um, starting at the Sanford Center and then Saturday over in Grand Forks. Um, North Dakota's probably not very happy right now. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, you mentioned maybe you're catching them at the right time, but they're also not happy. They're going to come out intense, you would think. So I think, like you mentioned, the thing with North Dakota is they're so talented. They can score goals in so many ways. So I think Bemidji State's going to need to go into it with a defensive approach. But I liked how you brought up the game they played against Wisconsin because I think that's almost a perfect example of what Tom Seratori would want his team to look like on any given day. Defense is allowing almost nothing, and yet the forechecking and the turnovers in the offensive zone are just relentless, and eventually you can get a situation where they pull away because they're just getting on every puck and completely controlling the outcome. So I think that's their path to victory, but like we talked about, North Dakota is going to be feisty coming into Sanford Center on Friday, I would expect. They're going to be feisty, and uh, you know, there's this is where Bemidji, though, can sort of be frustrating in themselves right when they play that very tight neutral zone trap as we all see them it's very tight in the middle north dakota wants to skate with puck possession they like to bring the puck into the offensive zone with the puck on their sticks they rarely want to be able to chip it and have to go get it right if bemidji can play well between the blue lines and force north dakota to sort of give the puck up to go get it again uh, Bemidji is a team that, at least in history, what's shown under Seratory, that sometimes they can frustrate their opponents, and likely it's just because they just end up beating themselves. Uh, I would think that that's sort of the game plan against North Dakota, a team that, again, is a bit of a up-and-down squad this year. Am I into something, or am I completely losing my marbles, Christian? I would agree with that, but I just mentioned, like I talked about, I think BSU, to some extent, is also trying to possess the puck in the offensive zone now. What we saw when they played Ferris State is sometimes that would lead to opportunities the other way when they lost the puck. So Mm -hmm. I don't think they're too keen on just holding it in and holding it in and holding it in. But I think they kind of want to combine a couple things. Like you mentioned, they're changing. They have changed offensively, I should say, as far as getting more shots on goal. And that's generally what they're looking for. But as I said, I think, like you mentioned, control of the neutral zone control of the defensive zone. I think those are going to be the biggest keys because I think of even the game they won in Grand Forks last year, they had a lead and North Dakota toward the end of that game was just dominating the puck and getting chance after chance. They eventually got the late goal and in overtime BSU wins it three on three, but North Dakota was really controlling the puck down the stretch. So I think against a team with that much firepower, Bemidji State's going to have to focus on the defensive zone and the neutral zone, first and foremost. You mentioned shots on goal up. They definitely are 32 shots a game four for Bemidji State. They're limiting their opponents to 24 and a half. So they're winning the shots on goal margin. Also a slight edge on the goals per game margin. They're scoring 2.4. They're only allowing 2.2. It's essentially a dead even heat there. 
Um, so for Bemidji, you certainly want to have that differential. You want to call it get bigger. But I, I guess what's the key to the victory here, Christian, uh, for Bemidji State? We talked about a couple of different things. But I think sometimes when it comes down to playing a team like North Dakota, where you mentioned they have the firepower that can seemingly turn on with a, a flip of a switch. Um, is it really the biggest thing that this weekend is just sort of playing in the moment and not make North Dakota be the enemy on paper and just try to play the game on the ice? I I thought it was something you were kind of pushing toward, which is finishing. I think yeah. about their first series against Arizona State. They had a huge shots advantage in the first game, and they don't score. So they've they had to replace their entire first line, which was excellent at finishing. So they've had a lot of young players stepping into new roles and they're learning how to finish and they've had some success as the season's gone on, but against the North Dakota, you're going to have to finish plays or they can just run away from you. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest key for them this weekend. One thing we do here on the MNCAA podcast is we sort of take a, shall we say, virtual trip to the sports betting casinos and uh, sort of predict what the outcome of this weekend will be, Christian. Uh, What do you see? Does Bemidji State steal a game? Do they get both? Or does North Dakota maybe find a way to take both away from the Beavers this weekend? I'm kind of finding myself leaning toward a split. I could see a 3-2 Maybe similar to St. Cloud State, they had a 2-1 lead. They get a late empty netter, so it's 3-1. Maybe a 3-2, 4-2 win for Bemidji State on Friday. And I think on Saturday in Grand Forks, the Hawks will bounce back and probably get that one. I think I'm with you on that. I think Bemidji can steal one. I think North Dakota is a vulnerable team right now, just based on just the way they've been playing. But again, the X factor with the Fighting Hawks, especially under head coach Brad Berry, is sometimes just the spark happens and when they do get the engine rolling they're a tough train to stop uh christian thank you very very much for joining us hope to have you back here on a weekly basis as we always do here on the mncaa podcast we do want to wish everybody here watching here the best of a thanksgiving but before we go for those who want to follow the michigan state hockey a little bit more closely uh christian where can they find your work and is there any social media that they should be following you and your work at Yes. Well, if they're watching the video stream, they can see, but my Twitter is at CB underscore journalist. I'll be providing updates from both men's games this weekend. I will also be in Grand Forks on Saturday. So I'll be at both games in person and all my work is at BemidjiPioneer.com. It can be read there and I'll have recaps of both games this weekend. Great work as always, Christian. Thanks again. Uh, We will be off next weekend for those who are listening and watching here on YouTube. We'll be back the following week here in December. For all of our panelists, I'm Nick Max, and we will see everybody back here in a couple of weeks. Have a happy Thanksgiving.